welcome to the Web Policy Talk podcast recorded live at the Impact and Policy Research Institute Impri New Delhi Namaste and greetings I GBAT researcher and assistant editor at Impri Impact and Policy Research Institute Prabhav Evang Niti Anusandhan Sansthan Nayidili extend my warmest welcome to you all to Impri hashtag web policy talk In light of the budget presentation on the 1st of February we are gathered today for a special panel discussion on population health and union budget 2022-23 as a part of the state of population and development hashtag population and development series this event is organized by the center for human dignity and development in pre impact and policy research institute new delhi now let me take this moment to introduce the gathering as the chair of today's discussion we are privileged to have with us mr devender he is with the global studies program of the university of freiburg germany and also a visiting senior fellow of impri we welcome you sir as our esteemed panelists we have mr sandeep chachra the executive director of action aid india we feel honored to have you with us sir welcome to the session we are delighted to have with us professor sankmitra shil acharya a professor center of social medicine and community health jawaharlal nehru university new delhi we welcome you ma'am we are pleased to be joined by dr shobha sudhi she is a senior fellow health initiative observe research foundation new delhi we welcome you ma'am we also have with us ms urvashi prasad the director of development monitoring and evaluation office niti ayog we are honored to have you with us ma'am welcome to the session lastly we are glad to have with us professor pradeep kipanda who is a professor and dean of school of public health asian institute of public health university bhubaneswar we welcome you sir now i invite our chair mr devender singh to initiate the discussion with his opening remarks we look forward to learning from our esteemed gathering thank you well, thank you very much i again welcome all the panelists very distinguished panel uh, we have today uh, and we are discussing a very important uh, topic also which is uh, health in the 2022 23 budget generally budget is a good occasion uh, to see uh, programs and the past years experience in terms of what we had planned how much we were able to accomplish in terms of uh, not only the money sense like what were the allocations and what were the uh, expenditure but also what were the targets milestones and whether we were able to achieve or not uh but in recent times since we don't have these five year plans by the planning commission budget is also viewed as some sort of a vision document and 
more and more we are seeing that long-term plans and long-term schemes and programs are uh, uh, integrated uh, within the budget uh, documents. That's also a good way of knowing uh, what, as per the government of the day, what are the prior priorities of the country. So uh, in this panel discussion, uh, what we have designed that overall we will start with the each panelist uh, uh, overall statement, how they view the budget uh, in terms of uh, uh, health and related sectors. Uh, but also what are the uh, uh, long-term vision they see in this budget and whether they see any such vision or not. Second thing, we, we also, because uh, we have uh, analysts who are engaged in the health sector uh, for a long time, what are the needs as per different uh, evidences uh, we have like National Survey or other reports, what are the needs which should have been addressed in this budget and to what extent those needs have been uh, addressed. Then, we will also discuss what, what are the things which they think were promised in last year's uh, budget, whether they have been taken forward, what is the progress uh, uh, on, on those programs and schemes uh, which has been uh, uh, achieved. Uh, and in terms of what were the outlays, what were the expenditure, but also milestone and, and objectives of different schemes. And then in the end, we will just ask what could have been done, whether they are satisfied with the budget, they, are there certain areas with glaring kind of gaps in the, in the, in the health programming, which should have been addressed in this budget. Uh, the allocations which have been made overall for the budget are for uh, uh, specific segments like health or the health system strengthening, workforce, what is, what, what is the status of that? We will take the views of the panelists uh, uh, in the end of the panel discussion. And then we will end, depending on the time available, are left uh, with my concluding thoughts. So uh, we will start. I don't have any particular order how we start, but uh, Analyst, any panelist can start with uh, the uh, opening statement of what they, how they view the, the overall budget. Uh, I would request that because we want to uh, finish this panel discussion within time limits. So please keep uh, uh, in mind that uh, you stick to the time limits so that we are able to hear uh, all the panelists on all the uh, topics which I just mentioned. But please choose someone. <laughs> uh, we can start with, I can see the first photograph of Professor Acharya. We can start with her. The onus of yeah. starting the discussion lies on you, ma'am. Okay, fine. <laughs> that, that, that's, uh, I thought that's how you've listed me also. Uh, first of all, uh, I appreciate uh, the initiative that uh, INPRI has taken and uh, 
uh, you particularly coming on board to uh, kind of uh, steer this discussion. In fact, a very important discussion, particularly in the light of budget, uh, all the more when we've seen how COVID uh, has behaved in last two years, particularly, and affected almost all of us in in, in various different ways. So, if we if we really want to uh, kind of uh, argue what has uh, budget in store for health, uh, I think we do need to look back in past. Uh, past two years particularly. Now, very quickly, uh, I'm sure we've all have had a glance uh, on the budget that uh, we've, uh, we've just kind of seen. Uh, the, the, the financial year, the forthcoming financial year seemingly has uh, kind of given or it suggests about 16% hike in the health sector allocation uh, from the outlay, which was uh, 82,000 crores. Uh, is almost equal to the last year's outlay, uh, and therefore the spending uh, also seemingly has uh, kind of increased. But what is very important to note in this budget, uh, I would say that uh, unlike last year, this year we have zero allocation for emergency response fund uh, on the assumption, therefore, that uh, the pandemic uh, has kind of started to retreat. Now, this is something which I would think needs some kind of caution because uh, we are still not sure as much as I would depend on literature and Ghana from there, we're still not sure what is happening in terms of uh, the, the, the situation that COVID will unfold in coming weeks and coming months, therefore. So uh, I feel that budget uh, vision, if I may use that word, has been a little too optimistic uh, because uh, the two important social sectors, I mean, if I can bring in education here right away, uh, both uh, education allocation for, uh, you know, by center and the state uh, has remained static about uh, at about 3.1% of the GDP while uh, health like i said has uh, can well, has been increased by 2.1% from 1.8% uh, in the year previous so uh, even while we say that the pandemic has affected all social uh, i mean all spheres of life uh, health sector for sure was the worst hit because the the kind of emphasis which was there uh, in terms of the need for health uh, is is kind of overwhelming so expenditure on health sector although increased from 2.73 lakh crores uh, which was in 2019 pre covid year uh, it, it kind of enhanced uh, to 4.72 lakh crores in uh, the, the the COVID year, uh, roughly about 73% increase if one might want to you know get a sense of it. But then uh, when we see between the last year and this year, the apprehension or rather optimism that it has started to recede uh, needs some kind of caution all the more because uh, this is where uh, much of the development sector rests. So if we are trying to put both uh, both the two sectors, both, both I mean, social sector together, and I would want to bring in education right away here because uh, health education, for instance, is an important constituent of uh, the larger health sector in, in that sense. So uh, while the spending on these two sectors during the pandemic year uh, was something to the tune of 8.65 of the, of the GDP, in the current uh, fiscal year, uh, it seems there has been uh, some kind of variation over there. Uh, 
Uh, and therefore, uh, I would reiterate that uh, the, the, the sense that we've been getting or we've been uh, trying to suggest as, um, as uh, scholars uh, or, or as, as interested people, those of us who are interested in, in the area of health, the need to increase the budgetary allocation for health sector perhaps becomes extremely, extremely important. Uh, the other point which I would quickly want to add in over here is uh, the very idea of uh, uh, generation of data and its user utilization. While we have lots of data which has come up on uh, COVID morbidity, mortality, vaccination, but a lot of it still remains unused, particularly for any kind of comparative analysis across regions, social groups, social classes, caste and ethnic groups. And therefore, I think uh, the state uh, over and above, like you said, uh, budget really has been uh, shaped into a vision document, uh, although we might want to uh, kind of uh, differ in our ideas whether budget should be labeled or considered as a vision document. Nevertheless, the idea that uh, data is there, but the data processing, data access, data availability becomes very, very important to be able to do any kind of planning for what may happen in future. And I'm, I'm sure we get that sense right from uh, the, the national health policy from 2017 itself. Therefore, I think a 10% hike, uh, which was kind of during the COVID-19 uh, year, uh, perhaps uh, as many uh, many of us who are working in the field of health feel is not going to be enough, uh, there is a need to reconsider this kind of consideration. Uh, and I would think that's my take on your first uh, query that you, uh, the point that you've made. Uh, I'll stop here. Thank you so much, Professor. Thank you very much. You uh, can go to the next panelist. Right. So, Aliji, yes. Is that the order, right? I'm happy yes. to go. If not, I can wait. So, okay. sure, sure. Uh, no, 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 please. please first of all, at the outset, let me thank colleagues from IMPRI for hosting this timely webinar. We've just had the budget, and, and here we have, we have this discussion on one of the most important topical issues uh, given the last two years. A quick first starting points. What do I welcome in this budget? The fact that mental health has been emphasized is extremely important. Of course, it's telemedicine centers. And I think that, but nevertheless, that recognition is important. Uh, it has been a silent, very silent killer. Uh, and I'm glad that COVID has exposed and the budget has taken, taken the opportunity of highlighting the issue of mental health and putting some money into it. I mean, we can always debate how much and how little, but that's welcome. I think also welcome is this national digital database on health facilities across the country that will help in the long run. Once again, how much, how less, it's a good starting point. So these are very welcome steps. I find them fresh. I, I find them in the right direction and the right path. Uh, much more debate, of course, is needed. Uh, how, how do we sort of go ahead of this? Now I want to come to some of the challenges and uh, uh, expectations that one would have had uh, of, of the budget per se, but particularly on the health sector, since we're talking this. And I want to start by saying that health cannot be viewed in isolation, as Professor was saying earlier. Uh, and and well-being and budget, to me, are the most central aspects in a time like this. 
See, we are coming from a pre-COVID economic slowdown, 2017, 2016, 2018. Uh, uh, th this is what the masses of this country, the large majorities of this country, the working people of this country have have been had been deeply affected by and all indicators you can take up prior to COVID uh, and you will find uh, that economic slowdown has caused job losses, joblessness, unemployment. In fact, unemployment stands at a 50 year high and COVID is not the only criminal for that. Yeah. Uh, so that we coming from that, people have been battered by two waves of COVID, uh, the large majorities of this country. In the first wave of COVID, the specter was out on the streets in the second wave of COVID, the specter was out in the hospitals. So in a sense, we saw those two deep battering impacts, particularly on the large majorities which make up the working people of the country. Let's take the example of informal sector workers. So you saw the deep shocks that these two waves sent them back years. And now also, people have been battling periodic lockdowns, weekend curfews, uh, night restrictions, uh, although the third wave is plateauing. So one cannot sort of wish away the third wave and say it has had no impact. It has like, had impact on costs, health costs, and so on and so forth. So this is what the scenario of the budget is. We know that joblessness, job losses, uh, wage losses, uh, contraction of work, quality of work, and wage, both, has been a cumulative impact. So it's, it's all that I said. Now we look at the other data and that's what I want to highlight here. If you look at the data which the economic survey released and before that the CMI uh, is actually on the question of private consumption. I want to bring in private consumption. And uh, if, you, if you go with the data, actually private consumption last year, 2021, has barely climbed up to uh, actually 2017 levels. So four years back. So it's not still there or it's around there. So, so yes, there was a spike uh, in, in, in the end of uh, 2020, but then again, uh, we have a private consumption. Now, private consumption is a very, very good indicator in my opinion. Not only is it 60, around 58, 59% of the GDP, but it's a very good indicator of people's well-being because you, you only spend in the market when, when you have some degree of ability to do so. Yeah? Uh, and private consumption in a depression means many, many, many things. I want to approach budget from the perspective of who is the protagonist in terms of uh, where the budget goes. So if you look at private consumption data, we know it's depressed. We know it's climbing, not climbing up in a hurry. And, and we know the budget took one path, one correct path, at least on, on, and that's something welcome, that yes, we will increase governmental public spending in terms of infrastructure. So we've, we've had huge talk on that on all the media channels, in all the newspapers that yes, this is a welcome step. Yes, increasing demand by investing governmental resources into public assets, provided they are, provided they are not sort of channeled off to imports, subsidized imports, or provided they don't go into sectors where employment is not created. So there's always a trickle down impact, but that trickle down, I mean, the budget more or less has taken that theory of trickle down impact. So yes, it will invest uh, much more in private sector, uh, much more in governmental spending, and therefore create a trickle-down employ uh, employment effect, and therefore create a trickle-down well-being impact. Because the social sector budgets, as Professor was pointing out, whether it's education, whether it's health, have remained static, 
or have reduced. Now, the other expectation, and I'll come to the other questions you raised, the other expectation was actually direct programs which go to the unequal part of India, which go to poor people directly, whether it's through direct employment programs, whether it's through subsidizing agriculture. In fact, agriculture has been a little bit disinvested from governmental spending in terms of, if you look at fertilizer cuts, uh, the, the money spent on fertilizer. If you look at the MSP, MSP is actually also not really increased despite all the protests on the street and, and we saw a lot of them. So in such a situation, we know the ability of people to spend on health is reduced. You know, one can always argue that, you know, if our, if our health was public, quality and free, then one could argue, yeah, that's something buffered off, but it is not. Uh, whether it's at the primary level, whether it's in countryside or whether it's in town, uh, people have had to spend a lot of money on health and therefore compromise other needs. Uh, and that we know was always the case in India that if you look at the household budget, uh, health spending constituted a, a fair, fair good part of it. And one can argue about what's the percentage. So it's not important for the moment, but I think deeper analysis should be done. So what's happened if people have spent more money on health, if people have had lesser income, uh, you know, uh, where is the contraction happening? The contraction, first of all, happens uh, if you're a working class household, the contraction, first of all, happens in other items, such as food, such as rentals, such as, uh, and these are all private consumption matters, such as uh, your ability to buy soap or something else in the market, such as your ability to invest in your own welfare, that of your children's welfare. So in a situation like this, the expectation was, and there's a long held expectation, I will not get into that and not repeat everything Professor has said, that as a percentage of the GDP, it's always been a debate. It's nothing new. Uh, there has been what is called incremental climb up. I, I remember in 2013-14, the figure was something like 1.15% of the GDP. By now, it has reached 2.1% of the GDP or barely there. Yeah. So one can say it's increased, but it's far too low if you compare the situation of health in India. And this is a long neglected issue. It's not as if it happened the last two years or five years, it's a long neglected issue. One, and, and if you compare it with countries which do well on health, it's nowhere near. Even the governmental uh, idea that, uh, or, or the health uh, uh, committee's idea that we would go to 2.5% by the year 2024, 25, I don't remember the exact year, but somewhere there, uh, is not enough. So that's a separate debate. But if you now look at the figures of health, there was a lot of expectation that the Health infrastructure of India, the primary healthcare level, NGOs like us work there. So, so the private uh, health healthcare centers, the community healthcare centers, the district healthcare sort of facilities, or even the state healthcare facilities will receive a boost. And this COVID, if it's done one thing among several other unmaskings, uh, is is the question of unmask to the public eye, the the ramshackle condition of our uh, public healthcare system. So the expectation was that at least with this COVID uh, and, and, and that the fact that last couple of years, you've seen raise in, particularly last year, you've seen a huge raise in the health expenditure because of this crisis, not COVID, because of the condition of the health infrastructure and partly of course COVID, uh, much more long-term planning and thinking 
radar setting on how we, how we need to pay much more attention would be reflected in the budget numbers. But sadly, if you look at it, the budget numbers today are, I think, 0.2% more than last year, the revised estimates of last year. Uh, so it isn't, it, isn't, it isn't lesson learning. And again, the good thing that I, I'll come to that later, but again, if you see uh, COVID planning, I mean, the government seems to have thought that COVID is behind us. 75% uh, of uh, our population is double vaccinated by the recent, uh, by the, by the recent days. Um, and, and one can take that figure, but you have non-adult population yet to be vaccinated, single or double dose. You have uh, booster doses, third doses li liability on you uh, coming up for all those who have been vaccinated nine months, 10 months ago, seven months ago. Uh, so that has to be planned for. But the provisioning for vaccination, for example, which comes under the heading I wrote somewhere, which comes under the heading of uh, public and medical health, uh, is actually only 5,000 crores. Last year, the government spent 39,000 crores uh, on public and uh, sort of uh, medical health care, for which largely went for uh, COVID vaccination. So in, in, in some ways, it seems to be that the message seems to be that COVID is behind us and that uh, I think it's not been adequately planned for. And one can always say government can put in supplementary budgets later on. But what's the point? Do it now. Uh, the fact remains that you have these liabilities of vaccination. You don't know if omega, you know, there's further mutations of the virus. So you need to sort of prepare yourself for that. The good thing, however, is in keeping that budget there, not growing it and not finding the new money, which we are criticizing, uh, at least some redirection has been made by reducing vaccination uh, sort of budget. Uh, the redirection seems to have made into the infrastructure part, which is a welcome thing. I mean, it should have been with new money, ideally, but it's not with new money. It's just a it's sort of within the static budget, you kind of move the money there, which is welcome anyway. But provided we should have planned for additional money and done the vaccination thing, it's moved into what is called the PM Abhim, the Prime Minister's uh, Ayushman Bharat Health Infrastructure Mission. Now, a lot of that money actually goes to primary and uh, secondary care centers within states and within, within locations. So I think that will be a sort of investment into future in terms of hopefully strengthening uh, primary and secondary healthcare infrastructure, uh, putting in place, we know what's the sort of status there, x-ray machines are not there, Do doctors are even not there, you know, uh, other kind of facilities, not major facilities or ventilators and things like weren't there. Uh, so I think at least that can be stabilized, but that's again, not enough money. Uh, now. Uh, the other point I want to make, the two other points, and I stop because of time. Uh, the one other point is there are outstanding health issues. Uh, and, and the one, I, I want to pick up two points there. One is about women and children. Uh, if you look at the National uh, Family Planning, the fa Family Health Survey, uh, NFHS uh, data of NFHS 4 and NFHS 5, uh, you see there are two big indicators there. The rise in levels of anemia among women yeah, 4%, 5% in these five years between NFHS 4 and 5, and the rise in levels of anemia in children and under undernutrition in children. So this again within those two uh, sort of uh, NFHS 4 and 5. Yeah, and that therefore means uh, those things haven't got attention because you, you sort of have that same kitty of money available and you need to start those programs. One more thing, yeah. had you taken the same anemia, nutrition, other well-being data 
of the social diversities in India, yeah, of the of the various social diversities of the various quote unquote the informal working classes of India, of which uh, there there are Adivasis, of which there are Dalits, uh, of of which there are denotified tribes. One can go to those those things of which there are also refugees. That's an exclusion. Yeah, if you take all that. Then you realize that there are lots, lots, lots more of more pending health issues which need priority addressing. We don't have that data. Yeah. We have a general population data. The private consumption data, for example, I was giving is a generalized data. So it un it kind of masks what's the level of precarities of people who are really at uh, you know minimum wage levels uh, within that large chunk of an average uh, uh, what's called consumption data. So I think there are those outstanding issues of research. Of what more investments are needed, of augmenting health planning, health uh, you know sort of extension, as well as uh, resources in health. Uh, that I think that this budget has belied. The fear is, and I close here, and this is a fear, and I and I hope uh, corrections can be done. The fear is in prioritizing a part of the budget uh, that has been commented on. Uh, what might fall by the wayside are these long outstanding issues of health, of welfare, of well-being, health and well-being are very deeply linked, uh, they might fall by the wayside because we have chosen maybe a part of the correct way, but not fully. We have chosen a part which says that we will create infra, we will invest, invest in public infra, we will create trickle-down economics, we will not increase wealth, we will not increase revenues by wealth taxes and super taxes on super rich or other kind of revenue generation mechanisms reduce, sorry, increase the tax burdens on corporates. So as a result, if, if our resource kitty isn't growing, some of these issues, particularly health, which we are speaking about today, but many others like education, for instance, uh, will, will continue to be static or would continue to be not fully and neededly invested into. Thank you. Sorry for a for a moment I lost the connection, but I was able to reconnect. Uh, uh, thank you very much, Sandeep, um, and you have very comprehensively you have taken almost all the aspects of the budget. Uh, uh, now, and that gives me a good segue to go to Shobaji, uh, uh, because he talked of. Data also, he talked of policy also, like what could have been the direction and what has been done. So uh, on that, I, I uh, want to hear what you think of the overall budget and from the policy perspective also, what should have been done? What are the kind of long-term um, perspective on that? And what, what has been done, what could have been done? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll begin with that. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Devendraji. And I quite agree with a few things uh, which uh, Professor Acharya and Sandeepji have been talking about. And I do agree that uh, uh, health can't be seen in silos. And there is a need for a multi-sector planning and a vision in mind when you're looking at uh, uh, allocating budgets. And every year uh, we do have a vision, we do have expectations, but then when finally the budget is out, then I, it, it 
sometimes seems that it uh, it is not evidence based you know you see what's happening and a budget should be based on the ground reality um anyway having said that uh, i think the uh i think overall uh, my view on the budget is despite the pandemic uh, the health budget budgets does not seem to see much of an increase and as uh, professor acharya said like 1.8 to 2.1 that's hardly an increase and now they have also uh, added the water and the sanitation outlay uh, in the health budget so where the allocation will go that is again you know uh, an important thing to be thought about and when we look at nutrition which is a very important uh, factor which uh, sandeep ji mentioned uh, when we talk about anemia or malnutrition the nutrition outlay has actually seen a decline or it is static at some point and at major points it's seen a decline uh so having said that everybody has talked about the different aspects of health i would like to focus on women and children uh, health because rightly so when you say population and health uh, almost 48% is comprised by women and they also add 18% to the gdp so i think it's a very important sector to understand and that also depends on the future uh, of future of the country like when we say that adequate nutrition is critical not only for the women's health but also for the health of their children and there is enough evidence which is available that you know investing in maternal and child health it yields a, a you know almost a triple dividend both and it's not only in low but also in the upper low and upper middle income countries having said that uh, if i if i have to talk about the budget uh, 22 23 and if i look at the nutrition and the health it is very disappointing or i would say very disheartening because it does not take into account the existing socio economic reality uh, i totally agree with professor acharya when she said that there has been no allocation for emergency response you are facing an emergency situation there is a pandemic happening and past two years you have had at a loss of lives and livelihoods but still there is no adequate uh, you know uh, budget allocated to be looking into any of these emergencies which could arise uh and poverty hunger anemia malnutrition are all at high levels if you see the latest data of nfhs 5 and compared to nfhs 4 it it has not come down much you know even if you look at stunting rather wasting everything has gone up so i think it's all the more required to look at what is the reality and then to be able to envisage a budget so that we can overcome the crisis and when we talk about women specifically the covid crisis has you know uh, almost led to a double burden or a double brunt of both the economic as well as the social fallout Uh, just to give an example when we talk about nutrition programs uh, there was one program which was launched in 2018 the poshan abhiyan then in the last year's budget we saw that they 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 launched the initiative of mission poshan 2.0 uh, which was again uh, on the delivery and you know um, uh, strengthening the nutritional content but uh, here when we see that the implementation of the initial program which started in 2018 has been poor so has been the you know other programs which cater to uh, the supplementary nutrition or the anganwadi services or the health services which are given at the anganwadi center all the beneficiaries have gone down so and when you see a decline in beneficiaries and the program not being implemented there is no point into doing an initiative 2.0 and that too without any extra allocation 
what needs to be done is strengthening of the program, implementation of the program, and just not allocation or mention of it. As rightly said by uh, Sandeep ji that mental health has been given its due, but how much due and how they are going to implement it, that is more important uh, uh, to see rather than just having a mention of like, you know, we are going to be uh, uh, having a budget for uh, teleconsultation or for, uh, you know, mental health. And, uh, and the nutrition budgets have already been on the low, you know, since last year, since the last budget, uh, there has been a decline of almost 26 to 27% in terms of the nutrition program budgets. And now with merger of programs, merger of different missions like the Mission Shakti, the Mission uh, Vatsalya and the Mission Portion 2.0, we actually don't know whether the, uh, where the budgets are going to be slashed. Uh, one important good thing is they have Nari Shakti, the gender, they have kind of, you know, uh, recognized uh, um, in, in this budget. But, uh, uh, but there has been no extra allocation for that. So it's basically like neglecting the, you know, the, the vulnerable uh, women and, and especially against the expectation of a transformative uh, opportunity. So um, uh, I would like to say that, uh, you know, as also mentioned in the in the budget speech that, uh, uh, you know, uh, two lakh Anganwadis are going to be upgraded, uh, but with no allocation, with basic poor infrastructure, uh, the budget seems more like a, a token service or a lift service uh, with not much emphasis being given. I mean, they need to take the socioeconomic reality, which is there, to have a vision, to have a plan, to be able to allocate, you know, sufficient budget uh, in, uh, because, you know, this is the whole budget which is going to run through the whole year. So uh, when earlier there is a deficit, I mean, you can't have the same budget when you're already uh, facing a deficit. I would like to end here saying that, uh, yes, uh, there has no, been no planning, no vision in terms of, uh, you know, uh, when the budget uh, seems to be, uh, you know, uh, laid out or discussed. Uh, I don't know what kind of evidence they take into mind uh, before laying out the budget, but then definitely uh, the ground realities have not been taken into account. Please unmute. Thank you, Shobhaji. The last line is very telling, and that also leads me to Uruvashiji, uh, uh, because she is a uh, health research expert. Uh, she has looked at the policies also, and now working very uh, with the Niti Aayog, again, looking at the data, evidence, and uh, the milestone and the achievements. So, Uruvashiji, uh, uh, and health expert is working with the Niti How do you view this uh, health uh, the budget from the perspective of the health? Yeah, thank you, Devendri. Just checking, can you hear me? Because I have a bad uh, yes. connection. Yes, okay. Yes. okay, okay, great. So, um, yeah, so I think, uh, you know, firstly, thank you for having me here. Um, this is really a fantastic panel. and obviously a very, very important subject. So, so very glad to be here. Um, I, I would agree with a lot of the points that have been made. So, you know, I wouldn't uh, necessarily repeat those, uh, but just, uh, you know, speak to a few specific points uh, myself. So I think firstly, from a health sector perspective, I think, uh, you know, this, there's just no doubt that 
you know, sort of any amount of increase that we look at, um, it really just never feels sufficient because it's been a chronically underfunded sector. You know, it's, it's you know, like also one of the panelists was saying, it's not just one year, two years, five years, 10 years, you know, it's, it's, it's really historically always been a sector um, where it's, it's seen as, you know, you sort of have to make room for expenditure here uh, rather than truly seeing it as an investment in, in human capital. So I think, you know, when I look at it from the public health lens, which is really my perspective and my training also, um, this, this has always been a very big challenge. And I think, so this is something that uh, definitely, you know, there's no doubt that, that allocations for this sector and also related areas, because ultimately it's, you know, also nutrition, it's uh, water, it's sanitation, you know, ultimately all of these go together. So, so I think that is something which is, uh, you know, indisputable. Um, I think the, the whole, uh, you know, digital, we, we spoke about that. Yes, I think there is obviously a digital push in many areas that we are seeing, um, but in, in health, as we know, it can be an important enabler. It's, it's no substitute for actual delivery of services. Um, but yes, if it's implemented well, uh, and that's what I always say that, you know, budget announcements are just that, you know, ultimately the devil lies in the implementation and much of that depends on how the whole center state, uh, you know, dynamic plays out. Uh, so I think that's, you know, that's something principally, uh, it's, it's welcome, it's good to see, uh, but we'll obviously be able to see the impact once we get to the implementation stage. Um, there's a couple of, you know, other broader points and, you know, that might be going slightly beyond the ambit of just the union budget as well. But I think it's critical, especially when we talk of the social sectors. And I think one is the whole center state, uh, you know, as I said, uh, that, that whole relationship, because in social sectors, uh, you know, states also play such a critical role. Uh, I mean, center certainly does, but so do states. So whenever we sort of talk of these allocations, when we talk of expenditure um, and we talk of implementation, I think it's so important that we, uh, you know, look more into how the whole center state uh, relationship is playing out in all these areas uh, and where are those gaps and how can those be addressed? I think that is something that, uh, especially for social sectors, you know, where, where there's uh, states have a very big say in what actually happens, um, I think that's very important. It's also very important because there's a lot of allocations which might be made, uh, but then we often see that there is an expenditure issue, you know? So while to us, it might seem that, you know, these allocations are so small, why can't we spend at least this much? Uh, but then, you know, there are so many issues, there are so many gaps, whether those are procedural, whether those are administrative, uh, which actually often don't allow even that pot of money uh, to be spent well. So, so I think in, in addition to just looking at these outlays and saying, okay, you know, what got how much money, um, we do need to uh, look much more systematically. And, and, you know, there is analysis which is done uh, from time to time. There's a lot of researchers who work on this, but I think even from within the government, uh, this sort of analysis, looking at it, uh, you know, very systematically is quite important uh, because this can actually then make the whole sort of budgeting exercise as well and, and you know, where that goes much more meaningful. Uh, so I think that's the uh, second point. And the last point I would really make uh, is, is sort of something that, that we have been working on and the organization I'm working with within NITIO, uh, which is the Development Monitoring and Evaluation Office, uh, which is to say that, you know, we, we look 
much more strongly also at what is happening from these schemes. You know, so you have an announcement, uh, you have a new scheme launched, uh, but really going beyond that to say what is tangibly being achieved in terms of outputs and outcomes and how's that feeding back uh, into the decisions we make regarding the allocations, the future allocations of these schemes or their continuation or discontinuation. Uh, so of course, the you know uh, some people might be aware of it that alongside the budget, we also have an outcome budget, uh, which is being laid in parliament for the last few years. Uh, and that's actually a document that we work on along with Department of Expenditure. Uh, so there's, there's obviously a lot of work to be done on that uh, to make sure that you know, this exercise is truly meaningful. Uh, it's truly linked to the functioning, truly linked to the allocations. Um, but I think it's an important mindset shift that we're trying to bring about through this. Uh, so that this whole exercise does not, you know, just remain, uh, you know, at the level of talking about uh, what we allocated to what uh, and which scheme and which initiative, uh, but actually looking at what we tangibly achieved and, and what the gaps are there and therefore how we need to reorient uh, perhaps when we come to the, to the next budget. So I think this is, this is an area which, which is really very, very critical and um, you know, perhaps a lot more attention and a lot more work needs to go towards this as well. Um, and, and that is something that, you know, we are trying to uh, at least push from our side along with uh, Department of Expenditure. So hopefully we'll see, uh, you know, sort of uh, the results and greater results of this in the, in the coming years as well. So I'll, I'll stop there. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much for sharing your ideas. And also uh, important uh, thing on the outcome outcome document. We come back to this. Uh, uh, we would like to hear from you more on that. But first, invite uh, Professor Panda to share his views. Uh, thank you very much, Devendra Ji. <clears throat> Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I'm grateful to the organizers for having me for this important webinar on health budget. Uh, let me not repeat what my other panelists have, talk, have talked about, but I will just mention few uh, welcome announcement and positive development in addition to whatever I've been told. Uh, uh, as everyone is saying that health is a multidimensional subject, there are some important social determinants focus in this budget. For example, provision of tap water, provision of housing, digital classroom for schools, emission-free transport, battery swapping facilities, incentives to reduce crop burning. So all these are very important social determinants and that may be helpful to the health sector as well. Now, my take is that as everyone is saying, uh, I think it is the health budget is less than expected. So the first takeaway uh, is that the historical tradition of according a low priority to the health sector has continued. Uh, the last three years were good. There was some continuous attention to the health sector. There is an in, increase in outlay, but that trend has been break now in this budget. So there is a lot of evidence on this. And already my colleagues have spoken about it. For example, public expenditure on health, both central and state governments combined, 
as a percentage of GDP, gross domestic product, was 1.4% during the pre-pandemic period, 2016 to 2019. It increased to 1.8%. In 2020, first year of pandemic, and 2.1% last year, 2021, second year of pandemic. This year's health budget will be less than 2.1% of GDP if we adjust for growth and inflation. So there is a break in the trend. Hopefully, it should have been continued with a with an enhanced focus that has that has not happened. We can look at another indicator. What is the overall share of health expenditure as a percentage of total government expenditure in order to understand the priority according to the health sector? So it has sharply reduced. On the basis of last year's revised estimates, if we take into account all packages due to COVID-19 vaccination, this percentage is 3.45% on the basis of last year's revised estimate. If we exclude the COVID-19 vaccination package, then it comes to 2.37% last year. And if you take into account this year's budget, it has further come down to 2.26% in 2022-23. Uh, so public expenditure on health is a percent of of GDP, as we know, was to be 2.5% according to the National Health Policy 2017. Even the World Health Organization is much more ambitious. It suggests even 5% for middle-income countries. But we are less likely to achieve these targets anytime soon. Now, the second takeaway is that the actual allocation to the health sector in this year's budget has gone up only marginally as compared to the last year. The third takeaway is that public health does not seem to be a priority in this year's budget. What is the evidence? Already Sandeep ji talked about it, in fact. So last year's uh, revised estimate on spending by the government on medical and public health was 74,820 crore. And this year's budget estimate is 41,0114. So this large reduction is due to reduced requirement of COVID-19 vaccination. Another issue is that the point to be noted is that this allocation of 41,0111 crore for the medical and public health also comprise of other components. For example, establishment expenditure central health schemes and central health institution. So there will be very little money left in fact for medical and public health if you account for this. And the fourth takeaway is that because there is a stagnant budget allocation to health sector, so what is the implication? It means that the states have to shoulder the major responsibility to financing and delivery of healthcare. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, good evidence, good data, and uh, uh, by other panelists uh, also, uh, evidence on uh, anemia, uh, as Sandeep Ji said, and Shobha also said, uh, Professor Acharya mentioned 
the uh, important research and evidence and doing continuous analysis of the data, not only in the pandemic time. Uh, so second, it has come out, but very briefly I want to hear, are there, apart from anemia, nutrition, and uh, importance of health research, are there any other ideas which should be also uh, look, should have been looked into the budget. Our provision should have all surveillance systems, which were emphasized in the last year, were they uh, emphasizing this year's budget and allocation need or not? So do we have uh, uh, the wherewithal to uh, um, uh, bear the epidemic and what kind of uh, Will uh, do we have the workforce, public health experts, uh, not only at the national level, but at the state level, district level, assisting the government to know uh, what could be the situation and what could be the um, response of the government at the local level, building from the local level to the, to the higher level. That kind of, whether those system strengthening things which were uh, mentioned in the last year budget whether that took place in this budget are taken our eyes off again anybody who, who wants to jump in can come uh, let me just quickly just one or two points and then yeah, other speakers, but also maybe other questions are there. I think as follows, I think uh, one of the questions which pandemic uh, should be teaching us is how do you make a future which is reset, particularly on the health side we're talking today, uh, but how do you do planning for future pandemic proofing, any kind of pandemic yeah, or any kind of epidemic and uh, things like and I think that's that's something that I really didn't discover. Uh, you know, that direction, that thinking, that allocation of resources, uh, that I didn't discover in this budget. For instance, uh, let's look at occupational health and safety. Now, on, on the labor side of things, the, the government has a code of occupational health and safety, which is now an act. Uh, and, and I think uh, a big element of occupational health and safety uh, goes into how do you make your workplaces uh, sort of uh, proof, if, if not proof, how do you make your workspaces a little secure uh, from questions of occupational health, from questions of pandemic, what we call pandemic proofing, for instance. Uh, and that would mean, simple terms, that would mean uh, that uh, for now we are using the word COVID-appropriate norms. Uh, when informal workers work in quarries and mines, when informal workers are at construction work. So there's one part to it with reference to other aspects, which of course pertain to health, or accidents and things like. Uh, so I, I think that other aspect which we could have done is missing in the budget. How do you make uh, workplaces which are well ventilated, clear, appropriate distancing, follow particular norms, and that has a lot of liability on the employers and in turn the welfare state. 
so we seem to have not really invested in that and that i think needs to be directed could have been directed much more strongly in as much as the question of uh, occupational health goes uh, and that focus can obtain from both the new act but as well as the lessons we need to be learning from pandemics such as the covid-19 one uh, with with all its uh, mutations and, and variations uh, the other bit uh, with reference to health I, and i think that some stage needs and i mentioned this in the passing but needs a much more sort of researched uh, 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 sort of research based allocation and financing too is a question of uh, see a continental country like india uh, we need very active decentralized response mechanisms uh, and uh, a cadre or, or or a cadre of health workers responsive in that very very quick response context uh, and the fact that uh, with this kind of a diversity that we have uh, disease patterns uh, you know sort of genetic onset disease patterns uh, so the whole variation there yeah? uh, and even even if you take the standard items such as anemia such as i mentioned a few uh, a lot of these may not have been discovered Uh, let me take an instance. Uh, it it is well expected that uh, people who are at very critical precarious survival levels, uh, who haven't the adequate nutrition, which is pointed to here, will definitely would be suffering. It's not genetic at all. Would be suffering from health precarities of various kinds. Anemia is is an example of that. Yeah? Why women suffer? Why children suffer? uh it's because of nutrition because uh, largely they do not have the kind of in, input or intake you know, that would secure them from the onset of such a sort of harmful health health conditions in such a situation a lot of the data uh, is not there so yes we have women data for women and in a very generalized way or on some certain indicators we have data and i think the technology uh, and I, i i am one which would say that best technology should be used for diagnostics uh, that technology should be used for preventive sort of uh, things which which can be dealt with uh, and that i think that element uh, is not just research it's it's the allocation that you do it's the impetus that you give to such aspect to secure your your populations uh, is probably i don't see that in 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 the in the, in the Emphasis in the budget at all, and I think that's something we should be more and more emphasizing of, among other things. Very, very rightly pointed out. I want to bring here Professor Acharya because we are talking of uh, uh, capacities. So, do we have the capacities in terms of uh, research, in terms of analysis, in terms of uh, proper response, and do we have kind of trained workforce? Like, we do have uh, enough epidemiologists. Uh, 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 public health specialist, uh, uh, also people working. Like for example, I am very keen to understand bringing population dynamics, and then preparing for uh, any any disaster or any health emergency. So how many old people are there? How many pregnant women are there? And do, do, doing those population and population projects, and so that we prepare in advance. So, uh, Professor Azhar, you are associated with the teaching and training and writing on, on these areas. So, 
do we give enough uh, attention to these areas do we support organizations who are working in these areas uh, uh, what needs to be done to uh, uh, to have that kind of workforce uh, in research in um, public health in uh, service provision your your views on that thank you dr singh uh, for bringing me over here uh, I'd probably uh, start with uh, what has happened to the budget for health research. Uh, if I if I connect with last year's allocation, it was something to the tune of 2,600 crores, of which uh, the expenditure went up to 3,000 plus crores. Uh, but the budgeting had been for this year, therefore the budgeting has enhanced to 3,200 crores of rupees. Uh, although we see that the ICMR budgetary allocations don't seem to have changed much. Now, the, the point here I would want to probably bring in is that uh, to ensure infrastructure, which uh, Sandeep ji has just talked about, uh, can we only rely on the increase, uh, which is again, not really uh, in that sense, uh, vast enough to be able to bring on bring on that uh, infrastructure and infrastructure in the sense, the holistic sense, where uh, the healthcare personnel are equally of uh, relevance. Now, uh, when we look at the uh, way health education institutions, healthcare provisioning institutions have been lying without personnel for a fairly long duration of point. I may not be able to share the data immediately, but the idea is that something to the tune of the range across the country is something to the tune of 30 to 60 percent, where we see vacancies in various kinds of uh, at various kinds of levels of personnel and various kinds of institutions. Now, going by that understanding, I think it becomes very, very important for us to take note of uh, while the current budget has proposed to spend uh, 83,000 crores, nearly, uh, which is which is a little more than I think last year's budgetary allocation. Uh, uh, and that's why perhaps we've been saying that it has increased by 16%. What really becomes, uh, which, which, what we really need to think about is in all of these increase with no emergency funds being allocated uh, with the assumption that COVID has kind of started to retreat, uh, where do we put in place the infrastructural realms of the healthcare service provisioning? And I connect this with uh, what uh, Sanjay, uh, Dr. Chazra has just said, Sandeep Ji has just said in terms of the, uh, the workforce, in terms of the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, work protocols which need to be put in place if infrastructure, uh, the best of the infrastructure has to be extracted. Now, when we look at the uh, uh, infrastructure in terms of the personnel, in terms of the work environment, uh, keeping in mind the COVID uh, scenarios, uh, some uh, two points probably I wish to bring in over here is uh, workers uh, in the, in the uh, hospice uh, centers, which have been 
kind of uh, which have been at the lower levels of work hierarchy say for example uh, if i'm talking about the hospices the ward boys the 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 workers who engage in cleaning and sanitation uh, the the those who were cleaning the bedpans for example of the covid patients uh, the direct connect with the infection if i may use the word has certainly been more to them versus the professionals or the personnel who located who are located at the higher levels wherein they direct connect with the wards with the people who are uh, experiencing the infection isn't has been minimal so uh, the budget in fact even the earlier budgets haven't really talked about this level of workers in the hospice scenarios the other realm which i want to bring in over here is that of the contractual workers when we are talking about the personnel in the health sector as we see the transition from the public to the private care a lot of uh, 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 workers have been contractualized and with that realm uh, the care provisioning has been very very strongly affected and therefore the social disparities in access to care itself becomes extremely extremely important because if you look at the uh, out-of-pocket expenditure which is happening in the country today is something to the tune of 70 to 80 percent uh, and all the more when we do have uh, uh, you know, uh, very little, uh, barely less than 10% of the population who is covered by any kind of health insurance. Of course, insurance uh, has another set of questions that we might want to pose it. So with this kind of uh, spending, uh, healthcare, public spending uh, on healthcare, I think we are ranked among the top 10 countries who are spending minimum uh, on, on healthcare. And, uh, you know, we have to incur a higher uh, out of expenditure, out of pocket expenditure on health. So uh, I would probably therefore want to bring in uh, my last uh, point that I would want to say uh, in this context, I think it really becomes important to bring in also the other dimension of uh, uh, working women, if I may say, both in the health sector and outside the health sector. Health sector particularly because uh, given the um, realms in which COVID uh, work has been uh, placed, women have uh, been burdened not only by uh, domestic work, but also by their professional uh, challenges vis-a-vis -vis the arrival of the pandemic. And in this backdrop, I would think that the budget really doesn't talk about how does one, how would one take care of the losses which women, in particular working women, at all levels, uh, from the lower uh, uh, waged uh, women workers to the higher professionals, have uh, what are the problems? Although the although the budget speech does talk about that the care will be given, care will be taken to the losses which have been incurred due to the pandemic. But how that care will be taken does not really come in. In, in very clear terms. And therefore, I would probably want to pose this question and end over there. Uh, do we, do we, is it really right to consider budget as a vision document? Because I would really want a budgetary allocations, budgetary outcomes to be something which we have a time frame in which we need to achieve them and look back to them, look back at them, whether we managed to achieve or we haven't managed to achieve. So vision document perhaps is uh, then 
uh, absolving me of that answer. If I am not able to achieve uh, what I had uh, aimed to achieve, I'm kind of being absolved because it's a vision. I I, I envisioned it as a as a state, uh, but I haven't managed to do it. So so I think it it just leaves me, you know, it just absolves me for that responsibility of being able to do that. So uh, I mean, I would want to uh, kind of end. And one one more point, perhaps uh, uh, something which in the tune of uh, you know bringing in the uh, uh, you know mental health uh, in a in a in a in, in in some prominent place i think care for elderly you know where the budgetary allocations were uh, something to the tune of more than 100 crores uh, in last year's budget uh, the expenditure incurred vis-a-vis -vis the revised budget had Cut, had been cut down to 15 crores. Uh, the only, uh, and we don't really, I mean, I had, I really couldn't get the sense of what was happening in, in this form, uh, therefore. The only good thing perhaps, uh, uh, or perhaps in addition that we can probably think is at least that the mention, uh, it does require some kind of mention, even if uh, we even if the telemedicine which has been evolved for mental health can probably be you know placed along the same realms and therefore uh, hopes that something uh, to the tune of this would also be given so uh, i'm just probably trying to say that uh, some kind of uh, clarity uh, is really important, which seemingly hasn't come up very well when we really look into in between the lines as we try and understand the budget. Uh, I'll, I'll stop here. Thank you. Thank you, Professor Acharya. Now I'll request uh, Professor Panda to reflect back on uh, the one digital initiative which is there in this budget, that is uh, open platform health ecosystem. Uh, Will it address uh, by bringing in the health registries, registries of the uh, professionals, uh, as well as the health facilities? Uh, will it help to bring us, bring a kind of in a synchronized manner uh, uh, to know what, what resources we have, what resources we acquire, how the uh, geographical allocations of those facilities and resources are there. Will it help us to view our situation where we stand and help plan for the future that these are the areas where we lack either facilities or healthcare professionals or the resources which we need to invest geographically as well as Sandeep was mentioning time and again, the vulnerable population wise, like in tribal areas, so that they are not only concentrated in the urban area. Will how you view uh, this initiative, this new initiative, which has been announced in this budget? Uh, thank you. I think this is a welcome initiative. Uh, I, I would combine both national digital health ecosystem, what you talked about, with national tele mental health program. Both together will help. Uh, in providing universal access to health facilities. But of course, there are obstacles and challenges, as you told already. For example, we know about the digital divide, uh, disadvantaged people, difficult to reach uh, people. So somehow we have to find ways and strategy to include them. Otherwise, they will be immediately excluded. But the idea is an excellent one, if implemented well, 
because India is a vast country with actually a lot of diversity in access to and utilization of health services, geography, topography, and etc. etc. So therefore, this uh, this uh, the, the in one place real time you will get to know what facilities are available where and even staying in a very far up places as we have seen during the COVID-19 time, the very important role played by telemedicine. So I think this is a welcome opportunity, but we need to bridge the gap and, 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 and take care of or address the digital divide issue so that everyone is included. There should not be any you know, exclusion. Thank you. Obviously, uh, if I can request you to reflect back on what Professor Acharya was saying, that uh, <clears throat> vision document absolves us of uh, monitoring uh, the progress. And you mentioned that uh, there is an outcome document as part of the budget. So could you reflect back on how you work on that document and what has been uh, your experience, whether it is able to uh, measure the success of the program only in terms of the money spent or also in uh, critical milestones or uh, the um, output and outcomes in terms of what what coverage of the population or what co coverage of means like pop in, in population terms, not only in terms of uh, the money. Yes, so so I think this there's been an evolution, you know, which I think a lot of countries uh, go through, and and it's it's happened here as well. If we if we look back several decades, uh, public programs they operated with smaller budgets. Uh, focus was mostly to measure quantity of outputs uh, that reached beneficiaries while keeping the leakages in check. Uh, you know, we had the assessment of the public distribution system and its reform. And that's a classic example uh, of, of this phase. Uh, then we you know, entered a, a phase which um, there was much more focus on maximizing efficiency of service delivery and, and value add uh, you know, for, for the money that we were spending. And so in the mid 2000s, the country actually launched its first uh, performance or outcome budget. Uh, and in that, we actually moved beyond outputs and we, we started, you know, holding public schemes accountable to outcome achievement. Uh, we also had the second Administrative Reforms Commission report in 2009, which further recommended, you know, that we need to uh, focus much more on uh, how well we are using that money and, and what we are getting from it and, you know, really making that an integral part of the budgeting process. So I think it's been a whole journey. Um, and over the last few years, uh, we have started, you know, developing this output outcome monitoring framework, as we call it, uh, which actually covers all the central ministries. Uh, it covers, you know, all the central sector and centrally sponsored schemes. Uh, and in 2021, 22, uh, together that accounted for roughly 12 lakh crore, uh, or a little more than one third of the government's total schematic expenditure. So. So it had a fairly wide coverage as well in this output outcome uh, monitoring framework. And this year again, you know, it was uh, tabled in parliament. So here basically for, you know, each of these uh, schemes, we in consultation with the ministries, with the departments, uh, we formulate, you know, what are the outputs? What are the outcomes that we want to track? What should be the targets uh, for every year? And, and a lot of these targets are actually also then broken down quarterly 
Um, and then we do a review of these. Uh, this review happens uh, actually, you know, in Niti Aayog itself, we have reviews at the level of the members and the vice chairman. Uh, with each of the ministries, each of the departments, we have a review uh, every year to see that, you know, what has been achieved, what has not been achieved. And in many cases, they actually recommend that, you know, certain schemes uh, be discontinued, be merged, uh, you know, or, or cases where we might need a new uh, scheme. So a lot of those kind of uh, suggestions, recommendations are also made in these meetings uh, to the ministries and to the departments. So, so I think there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of work still to be done to, to sort of make this, you know, build on this process, make it much more effective and closely linked to the way we think of our budgets and uh, the outlays and the way we think about our schemes. Um, but I think it's, it's an important mindset shift because, you know, earlier, uh, if we see a lot of the discussions, you know, they would just remain limited to the allocations and, you know, what direction they are going. And, and you know, that's, that's about it. But now uh, we are at least, you know, starting to ask these uh, questions around, you know, what were the actual outcomes or out outputs that were achieved and whether they were in line with the, you know, schemes intended objectives. Uh, so I think, I think it's directionally, it's, it's important that, you know, we are taking this step. Um, but like with most of these, you know, processes within the government, uh, there's a lot of work to be done, you know, ahead. Uh, also in taking it to the level of states, you know, and I keep coming back to states um, because, you know, as I said, you know, in these sectors, especially, you know, you can hardly have any meaningful conversation, uh, you know, where we don't talk about the states. So I think we also need to take these out outcome budgets and actually many states have their own version of these budgets. Uh, which are also quite extensive, like Delhi comes out with quite an extensive outcome budget. So, you know, many states have been sort of doing similar things, uh, but we need to really institutionalize it within that, within the government system at both the central and the state levels uh, to really be able to, you know, make it a meaningful instrument. So, so that is something that, you know, we are working towards. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Now I'll request Shobhaji to reflect back on uh, something which was uh, which she was mentioning earlier that women and children how important they are uh, and i'll just give little uh, my view on that that last year uh, there were six pillars in the budget and health and well-being like as sandeepji was also saying that you, we, we cannot dissociate these two when we talk of health we need to also to talk of well-being and that's the definition of who also for the health it's not just the uh, absence of the disease. It has to be more comprehensive and uh, in, in terms of well-being. So, uh, but this time there is no, uh, uh, there are only four pillars uh, and there is no pillar on the health. But do you think that the last year when this, the budget has a comprehensiveness of talking about health and well-being it also uh, brought in water and sanitation and nutrition, Anganwadi schemes in when they were talking about the health. Do you think that uh, uh, the way of looking at the health has been missing in this budget? Or do you see that, no, she might not have talked about those things, but still that focus is there? Yeah, I, as I said earlier, uh, Devendraji, I mean, uh, the social ground realities have not been kept into mind. And when we also say COVID, I mean, COVID has definitely led to a lot of economic fallout. 
So and and things like you know uh, uh, not only women. I mean you know when we say poor access to health, lack of education, employment, or we talk about targeted social welfare schemes and programs, all of them seem to be neglected. And and if I specifically talk about gender budget, uh, it's the same as last year, and which was hugely insufficient last year. So now the same this year again the same budget has been allocated. And and when we talk about women and children, it is just 0.5% of the total budget. I mean, you can you can imagine what an important sect we are talking about, and the budget allocation is just 0.5% of the total. There have been various programs like social security nets and all, which have all all the all the budgets have been you know either stagnant or they have been slightly cut down. I mean, there has been no program where there has been an allocation based on the reality. Now, when we talk about this simple example of Anganwadi centers, when we say we need to, uh, the infrastructure is going to be, you know, upgraded. But, you know, you have to look at the basic what is available. There is no clean drinking water. There's no toilets. And then with no extra financial allocation, how do you expect to have a better upgraded, you know, those, uh, those few lakhs of Anganwadi centers which are going to be upgraded? And, and with subsidy cuts, there is going to be a huge uh, uh, setback, whether you talk about the midday meals or you talk about the ICDS uh, supplementary programs. Earlier, we were talking about health personals. I think they have not been given their due. If I just basically talk about uh, some of the uh, community health workers or some of the volunteers, they have not been given due recognition. I mean, they have actually been the COVID warriors. Now, when you talk about remuneration, so much of work happens at their level but what about remuneration what about uh, uh, what about you know uh, just doing the infrastructure what about packing up with quality delivery of services or you talk about adequate staffing or you talk about building capacities of our these frontline functionaries i mean or improving access to healthcare and nutrition services all these seem to be neglected and, and one important aspect uh, when we were talking about micronutrient deficiencies or anemia, the adolescents have been kind of left out. I mean, there is no separate demarcation in terms of, you know, having any budget uh, allocated for the adolescent uh, schemes. I mean, this is something very important which needs to be kept in mind. When we talk about PDS, you know, it has been a boon, especially in terms of pandemic during when, you know, people were getting uh, uh, the rations. But it is not universal. Only 60% is covered by it. And, and schemes like, you know, Pradhan Mantri, Agarib Kalyanujana, where, uh, where the uh, people were getting uh, additional food grains, there seems no indication of extending it. So I think uh, there have been so many uh, realities which have been neglected have been kept in mind and it's it's imperative for the government to you know look at uh, uh, look at you know sorting this crisis be it by universalizing uh, the the you know under the nfsa the pds or creating opportunities uh, mr sandeep was also talking about safe uh, work environment or investment for health and education i think these things need to be kept in mind when we are looking at uh, when we take it as a reflection of the last year's budget and what more needs to be done and especially with the pandemic with an emergency with the response situation i think it was all the more important to have a very holistic and a very realistic kind of budget 
not just allocating the same amount, looking at what has happened and what is going to happen. I mean, it's not over. COVID is not over. We don't know what else is coming in. So I think that futuristic view has not been kept in mind and uh, uh, while, uh, you know, uh, allocating uh, budgets. So that's that's an additional point which I would like to add. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, now we are coming to the end of the panel discussion. So I'll request uh, uh, the panelists to very briefly, like in one or two minutes maximum, if they think that uh, there is uh, any burning issue which uh, should be brought on the table and which might have been left out. Okay. <clears throat> so let me speak probably in turn, probably out of turn, but uh, there is a burning issue. Uh, I would just want to amplify it uh, for takers in the civil society, those who might be listening and yourselves, very August panel. And that's the matter which has been mentioned, but I want to amplify that that's the case for all the Anganwadi workers. That's the case for all the frontline workers who worked at huge risk, who we celebrate notionally as maybe in gratitude terms as COVID warriors. They're not only, they haven't, the history is not just of only being having in the last two years COVID warriors, they have been carers for a long, long time. It's just that in COVID, their role was very exposed and well exposed and respected in the public eye. And therefore, I want to make the case for as Professor Acharya was referring to in her personal side of the presentation, I want to make the case for compensation, wage compensation during the time of these last two years or a cutoff period. I also want to uh, make a case for ensuring dignified wages uh, to all of the people who are our frontline care providers, uh, people who were in crematoriums, uh, people who were cleaning bedpans, people who, what was referred to as ward boys, because there's a disparity there, you never see ward girls, for instance. And I don't want to sort of make a case to make ward girls. I think the fact remains that there is also a huge question there. But all the people who, in some ways, were sanitation workers, uh, crematorium and burial ground workers, people who were attending to COVID and other patients and have been doing so pre-COVID times as well, I want to make a huge case for recognizing them as sustainability, care, and what is called ecological service defenders. And therefore, in addition to dignified, decent wages, assuring that that's a moral, political, and ethical responsibility of the state, in order, apart from ensuring minimum dignified monthly wage, I also want to make a case for ensuring additional one month wage as what is called care and frontline defenders wage, because they service the society in ways what Dr. Suri was talking about in a futuristic way. They, they are the real unsung heroes if you take our health sector in the wider sense of the world. And they are the most precarious workers, most, and ironically, they are in most precarity. So I think I want to say that. And I also want to say, secondly, that the wage compensation mechanism has been suggested one can always debate whether the labor ministry should take the lead on this, whether the health ministry should take the lead on it. 
I mean, now getting into that uh, sort of ministerial or departmental sort of theatres, uh, this is something uh, that any forthcoming budget, any forthcoming supplementary allocation, any forthcoming public debate on the matter should really put it at the center. Thank you. Professor Acharya, Professor Panda. Sure. Uh, sorry, uh, if I can come in, Dr. Devendra? Sure, sure, please. In fact, uh, I would just uh, take further what uh, Sandeepji has just said. Uh, thank you, Sandeepji, for bringing in the crematorium workers and uh, burial ground workers also. I think uh, in our uh, fray, we uh, almost kind of forgot, but thank you for working. In fact, I'm right now working on a, on a study uh, amongst uh, the sanitation and burial ground and crematorium workers and uh, rightfully, uh, as you said, they need to be brought in in some way vis-a-vis -vis the compensation alongside the decent work uh, part of uh, what we perhaps are trying to put in place. I just want to make two points over here in addition to this. I think uh, when we are uh, talking of the larger health realms, I completely agree with uh, Shobaji when she brings in the realms of uh, adolescent population and therefore I would want to bring in the demographic realms in uh, understanding the health uh, health systems and health outcomes. Uh, the assumption being that youth and adolescents are fairly, you know, well equipped in terms of health, a lot of neglect has happened to them and these are the ones who by way of COVID indirectly been affected very, very uh, strongly by way of the very system of attaining education, which has changed for them in last two years. The going online has been a traumatic experience for most of them by way of the uncertainties that the system has brought in. So that's something uh, while mental health uh, realms have been put in place, but how it will happen and how will this reach to the school level students uh, is something which is very, very uh, important and has not been at least uh, addressed in any which way. Similarly, for the teachers also, I think it's equally relevant, particularly the school level teachers, wherein the workload has been very, very different. Again, uh, uh, kind of uh, connecting that with the me mental health regimes that have been put in place. The other thing which I want to bring on board right now, which, uh, which has already been alluded in terms of the social realities, if you look at the national uh, family health survey data of the recent round, the NFHS 5, it tells us that the uh, Dalit women live 14.6 years less than the non-Dalit women and all of this rests upon the nutrition and the health regimes in which these women are located differentially and therefore it brings us back to the access to healthcare services, access to food, etc, etc. And it also, the same data is also telling us that the average height of an Indian, I'm sure those of us who've had a look at the data, uh, and there's a paper which has come up in PLOS One which says that it's, it's in India that the average height has been reducing over last few uh, decades as compared to the increase which is happening in the global scenario. So that again brings us back to the whole idea of the neglect. And in fact, it's telling us the story of the neglect which the health sector has had in last uh, so many years. And therefore, I think it brings us back to the need of data being made available in public sector so that research, if at all the research enhancement has happened, can be done to kind of uh, make, uh, you know, some meaningful in, uh, 
uh, you know implications of the scenarios that we have experienced vis-a-vis -vis health in last so many years particularly last two years thank you dr singh thank you professor pandya okay now just some uh, already we discussed little bit of evidence base and what needs to be done so if we look at the nfhs5 data and compare nfhs4 and nfhs5 we find the following unfavorable trends in some of the indicators first anemia among women and children has increased at the all india level as well as for rural and urban areas so at the all india level anemia among women has increased from 53% to 57% anemia among children has increased from 59% to 67% second overweight or ob obesity among women and men has increased again at the all india level and also for rural and urban areas at the all india level overweight among women has increased from 21% to 24% and overweight among men has increased from 19% to 23% and another indicator that is waste to heat ratio of nearly 50% of adults in india falls in the high risk category so all this point to uh, the revamping and restrategizing of programs associated with poshan abhiyan poshan 2 prime minister's poshan shakti nirman and anemia free india and adequate resource allocation so that is one so in addition according to me there is a need to prioritize the following the first strengthening health infrastructure in rural and urban areas that is fundamental second multi layer and multi skill human resources for health okay third strengthening primary health care and fourth quality health care services we should focus on quality now that is fundamental and all these would require more allocation of resources as well as efficient utilization of resources in the following focus on health and wellness center excellent idea comprehensive primary health care but nothing much is happening we should focus and fast track this pmj and health infrastructure mission thank you thank you shobha ji any uh, burning yeah. idea Really? Well, I agree to while I agree to all the uh, way forward uh, uh, thinking on the budget, but to uh, to uh, you know to sum up as to what I have been talking about uh, with due emphasis are for women uh, and children. So I think uh, what is important is the gender budgeting. I mean, gender budgeting, which is cross cutting, which is multi sectoral, and it impacts like you know the lives of women and girls, and it is also uh, impactful for economic growth. so i think gender budgeting should be the first thing which needs to be done and in terms of uh, when we talk about health nutrition is very integral so when we say that there have been disruption of nutritional uh, services during the pandemic so it's very important uh, for the nation to look at how to provide uh, for the needs of the people so when we talk about food security and the growing food insecurity 
So I think the nutrition programs uh, should include more nutrient-dense foods. There has been a big debate on egg, but then wherever socially acceptable, I think uh, high protein and high nutrient-dense food should be added uh, to the diet. Then uh, when I was talking about PDS, I think there should be universalization of PDS, which is very important, uh, or, or even extension of the uh, PM Garib Kalyan Yojana so that it will also benefit the ones who are not covered under the uh, PDS or the NFSA, like the migrant workers and the vulnerable communities. And lastly, I think uh, the budget, when uh, you know, uh, in the future budget, I think they should laid, uh, uh, they should have laid the, some groundwork for an inclusive and an equitable post-COVID recovery, because I think that is very important, uh, uh, even for the future budgets uh, which are going to be developed or additional uh, budgets which are going to be formed. I think they should keep in mind that it should be inclusive and it should be equitable. So uh, I think that that will be my humble submission. Thank you very much. Uh, ji. Urvashi ji, can you hear me? I think she's not there. I think she's not there. She's so. not there, okay. Yeah. So uh, uh, let's bring it to the conclusion. Uh, uh, thank you very much uh, to all the panelists. Uh, we have discussed budget, uh, uh, especially in the context of uh, uh, health uh, from different angles. And uh, it has been a good learning experience for me and, and I'm hopeful all the uh, participants who have joined this panel discussion must have also benefited from uh, rich insights, uh, 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 arguments which were put both uh, and uh, uh, the evidence which was given. Uh, briefly, in my comment, I would like to say that if I have to use just one sentence, then I'll call it unpandemic budget in the pandemic times. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, like the budget speech, provisions made for health and related sectors do not seem to give any impression that we are, we are still amidst, amidst a uh, pandemic, which has a pandemic which has resulted in loss of countless lives, liberty, and livelihoods. It, the budget speaks, it seems to indicate that pandemic is over and that the only thing, uh, important thing to do right now is to revive the economy. And it is also thought, like uh, uh, Sandeep, was, uh, Sandeep Ji was saying, that uh, the focus is on trickle-down kind of understanding it is understood that once the economy is revived, everything else will automatically fall into place. So it also seems to be suggested that the government thinks that the steps they have taken in previous two years, such as improved health infrastructure, speed, and coverage of vaccination, they have borne the desired results. And because of which the country has improved capacities already to withstand challenges brought by an epidemic. This epidemic or any future epidemic. That's the sense I, I got when I was uh, going through the speech and the budget allocation, which, which are there. As I mentioned that in last year's budget, there were six pillars. And one of these pillars, the very first pillar was the health and well-being. And that was heartening for the, all the people who are associated with the health sector. This time, as I mentioned, there are four pillars and health is not one of them. And like the unraveling of pub public health system during the first and second wave, that has been relegated as kind of sideshow, uh, which 
can take care of itself if the economy is in the pink of the health. As mentioned by uh, all the panelist, panelists, that it, privacy, it seems that there is 16% increment in the health budget. But when if we take the revised budget, the revised estimate at the base, then the increment is only 0.23, uh, 0.23%. So the total budget uh, coming around to 86,200,000 crores. Out of this, as was mentioned by uh, Professor Asari, 3,200 crores have been allocated for health research. National Health Mission, surprisingly, the mainstay of health services and programs has seen almost no change in budget allocation from the last year. Like last year, it was 36,576 crore. This time, it's 37,000 crore. So there's almost there is like 300, 400 uh, uh, increment, which would very well be less than the last year allocation in real terms if we take the uh, inflation into account. There has been some increment in the health infrastructure budget from 315 crore to 978 crore. As Sadiq was mentioning, uh, and other panelists also mentioned, that despite large segment of population yet to be fully vaccinated, and there will be a requirement uh, for like uh, booster doses, the budget for vaccination has been slashed. What does it imply? Either it will go to the states or it will. Uh, be out of uh, pocket expenditure for people. So that, that does not augur very well. Uh, uh, like a budget in times of uh, pandemic times, that's why uh, uh, it's unpandemic kind of budget. As mentioned, nutrition budget has been reduced, uh, reduced despite the evidence of uh, uh, rising hunger as well as uh, increasing anemia among the women as well as children. Budget slashed from 11,500 crore to 10,234 crore. Only significant, it was also mentioned by Sandeepji as well as uh, Professor Panda also, that two, the digital push which has been given, that is significant in terms of national digital health ecosystem as well as uh, uh, for the uh, uh, network for the mental health. But again, there's uh, the increase in budgetary allocation for mental health is like what? 14 crore. So like from 597 crore to 610 crore, how the additional initiative will be funded with this much money? Plus there is a plan to subtract money from other ongoing programs for, for the mental health. And this is despite the fact that studies have come over without the pandemic, the mental health, uh, burden of disease is pretty high in India, requires a sustained kind of program and approach. Uh, and during the COVID, uh, especially the, there has been an increase in the mental health issues of uh, uh, health, uh, healthcare professionals, as well as elderly people, or those who are living alone. So this looks like a kind of uh, uh, an easy approach that uh, we announce this scheme, money will not be spent because it's digital. So uh, again, how how it pans out needs to be. Bringing water, sanitation, nutrition in the ambit of health in the last year's budget, as well as commitment to strengthen capacities in surveillance, health research, and public health workforce. That seems to be not addressed 
detailed out in its budgets. So, uh, like for example, PM Atam first Bharat Yojana, that was a plan which was for six years, like 64,000 crore uh, was allocated. So, what is the progress of that uh, scheme? We don't get a very fair idea in, in this budget and whether it will be continued, how 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 it will be taken uh, further when allocations earmarked that's still there. So we, we don't get very good idea of the programs or uh, schemes which were started in last year's budget, how they are moving in this. So what in, in brief I can say as also mentioned by different panelists that in last year's budget, finance minister had said that even at the outset, I would like to say that investment on health infrastructure in the budget has increased substantially. Progressively, as institutions absorb more, we shall commit more. So there is no more commit, there is no commitment of any additional funds or more funds. So can we assume that institutions which are there they have not been strengthened because they were not able to uh, absorb more or demand more. Uh, uh, so overall, this budget, as I said in the starting, it looks like a very un-pandemic budget, which is taking place in pandemic times, totally ignoring, as the Shobha uh, said, Ignoring the realities, as Sandeepji was mentioning, the epidemiological and demographic diversities which are there in this, ignoring the needs in terms of research evidence, which uh, Professor Acharya was uh, hi highlighted in her uh, presentation. So this looks like a budget which did not put too much thought on health or other so allied social sector more, more geared towards economic recovery and uh, with the thought that once we are on a uh, economic re recovery path, other things That is my comment and I, I hand over to Arjun. Uh, Yes, thank you. Thank you so much, sir. So to officially propose the vote of thanks, now invite Anshula Mehta. Anshula. As we come to the end of this extremely important and informative deliberation on population, health, and union budget 2022-23, I, Anshula Mehta, Senior Assistant Director at IMPRI, would like to propose a formal vote of thanks. On behalf of the IMPRI Center for Human Dignity and Development, I thank our distinguished panel for taking out the time to be with us today. We are grateful to Mr. Devinder Singh for chairing the discussion and driving it with his valuable guidance and inputs. Thank you, sir. We thank our panelists, Professor Sangamitra Acharya, Mr. Sandeep Chachra, Dr. Shobha Suri, Professor Pradeep Panda, and Ms. Urvashi Prasad for joining us and sharing their pertinent analysis, uh, their rich insight and perspectives on the topic. Thank you. And of course, we are grateful to all our participants who joined us here on Zoom as well as on Facebook Live or would be watching us later on YouTube or listening to us on our podcast. 
We hope that you continue to tune in to future episodes of Population and Development, as well as our other web policy talks. We also invite you to join us for more of our upcoming discussions on the Union Budget 2022, today and tomorrow. Thank you again, and I wish you all a very good evening. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, ma'am.